Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Season 5 of And The Writer Is with your host, Ross Golan. Before I give my spiel, I want to acknowledge the music army that listens to this podcast every week. Since starting this, the And The Writer Is community has literally changed the history of the music business by helping pass the Music Modernization Act, gotten songwriters added to Album of the Year for the Grammys, and still is advocating for positive changes for our industry on a daily basis. So thank you and congrats. Now, as you know, I've written with hundreds of artists and writers over the years, and my favorite part of each session is the first hour when we catch up about life, the industry, politics, composition, whatever. So this is a journey of learning why people write songs, how people write songs, and most importantly, who the people are who write the songs. I'm producing this with The Great Joe London, Big Deal Music Publishing, and Mega House Music Management. If you want to listen to the songs we discuss in this podcast, follow us on our socials, find out about special live events, or buy that merch, a.k.a. that hat I always wear, go to our website, www.andthewriteris.com. Today's podcast is brought to you by our friends at Banzoogle. Built for musicians by musicians, you can use Banzoogle's tools to design a website, EPK, sell music, merch directly to your fans commission free. But Banzoogle just recently launched fan subscriptions, which lets fans pay a monthly fee in exchange for exclusive rewards and access to your music. Like all Banzoogle sales tools, fan subscriptions are commission free. Just go to banzoogle.com to try it free for 30 days and be sure to use the promo code ATWI to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. That's banzoogle.com. Use the promo code ATWI to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. Songwriters. Think about your favorite hit song and what makes it an earworm. You could be the writer behind the next song and that goes viral. Enter the 20th annual NSAI Song Contest presented by Martin Guitars and Strings and CMT. You could win several prizes, including the one-on-one mentoring session with L. King, myself, and fellow and the writer is producer Joe London. The lyric-only winner will score $2,000 cash and mentoring session with award-winning songwriter Tom Douglas, as well as other coveted prizes. Send in your best songs now through October 31st at nsai.cmt.com. Hey guys. I was over by the snacks because when in doubt, that's probably where I am. I was peeing. That's just also probably when in doubt, probably where I am most of the time. Listen to your voice. It's deep, it's resonant. Mine's so Jewish and nasal. It's so Jewish. You love it. You hear it. You know it, baby. Um, hold on. Those are directions to get to where I am at right now. You guys doing all right? Yeah. Good. Good. This is my like. This is my day off. 
All right, so here, here's, here's actually what's happening. <laughs> Sam and I are friends. Uh, yes. We we did a, a a version of and the writer is about a year ago. So I think what's kind of fun about this is that you can see how much happens in a songwriter's life in uh, one year of uh, life. Last year, yeah, the last time we spoke, I think I was like fully. I remember talking to you. And I was like, I'm I, I'm in crisis mode right now. My album's not done. I have no idea what I'm doing. It was like you were like, it's fine. You're gonna be all right. Well, that, that's what cool. when you hear it, you're gonna hear this, and then you're gonna hear the you know the <laughs> conversation from a year ago because I think that's part that's actually kind of interesting. Is we're always so used to now, now more, 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 and, and we're in these crises modes all the time, but the time. it doesn't really um, it doesn't work that way. My my <laughs> wife is here, and I'm sure she's laughing, being like, <laughs> I should listen to my own advice. Um, so I'm gonna read the interview or the uh, the intro. That I did then, so you guys can experience the joy. Okay. Welcome to And the Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan, today's multi platinum songwriting frontman and philanthropist is as versatile as he is talented, having worked with everyone from Lil Wayne, Wiz Khalifa, Logic, Imagine Dragons, and Ty Dolla Sign. Uh, all on one track, by the way. All on one song. Um, to Zed. <laughs> Uh, uh, and the writer is alum BB Rexa, all the way from Ithaca, New York. It's gorgeous. This singer doesn't <laughs> doesn't just say uh, he'll be a philanthropist. He puts his money where his mouth is. And the writer is ex ambassador's frontman Sam Harris. Hey, thank you. That gorgeous line is still funny. It's still classic. It's still uh, classic. Those of you who don't know that, anybody who's been to Ithaca... Or been to Urban Outfitters and bought <laughs> a t-shirt that says Ithaca is gorgeous. Yeah, it's like gorgeous, like spelled like gorgeous, like like land gorgeous. Like It's okay. It's an inside joke. Forget it. Look don't it up. Don't worry about it. Okay. Moving on. So, oh, really? You're from Ithaca? Yeah. All right. Cool. Okay. So you know what's up. You know what's up. Um, so... Uh, should we start with the ex ambassadors, or should we start yeah. with all the other writing? Because, like, oh, you know, like you were saying, let's let's pick. You up. can fill them in a little bit just okay. before. We'll start okay. with ex ambassadors. You can give them a little okay. cliff notes of, of other stuff well, that we've done. Well, let's start from the beginning. Where are you from? I'm from Ithaca, New York. I'm from upstate New York. Okay. Yeah. And who taught you music? Ah, uh, you know, it was it was a little bit of my mom. So my mom was a singer. She was like a jazz cabaret singer, um, and you know, around the house, like we had a piano in the house and she was every once in a while going out to do gigs. And, you know, when I was really little, we did, you know, a couple songs from Oliver, the musical together. Like, you know, it was cute. She'd bring her kids out and we'd sing. And so what, that, what, and then what, just which like, song, which songs, um, I'd do anything for you, dear. Anything, yes, I do. Anything, anything, anything for you. Yeah, that was the that was the classic. That was the hit. That was a money maker. You know, so good, um, <laughs> so good. So you start, you know, skip forward because we got a lot to go through. Um, I mean, you're in you're in a band with your brother. Yeah, yeah. That seems like. Um, either a, a really good idea or a really bad idea 
because I would imagine that people get really competitive with their siblings, but somehow you guys are on stage together on a nightly basis. How yeah. did it go from, you know, you guys growing up in the same house to being in a band together? Well, it was, I, I had my first band when I was like 13, I think, with, it was my friend Noah, who was originally uh, in X Ambassadors um, playing guitar for us, and then two of our other friends. And it was like my thing, right? My brother's my older brother. He's older by two years. And, and when we were young kids, we got along. And then like as teenagers, we, we just hated each other. So I didn't want a thing to do with him. I was like, you do not, I, this is my band. He, he was playing piano already at that time. But he would sneak downstairs when I wasn't there because the rest of the guys in my band were friends with my brother. And so he'd come downstairs and be jamming with them. And I'd come down, like, Casey, we got to practice, man. Like, please, can you, like, leave? And then he'd leave, and they'd, they'd be like, yo, your brother's really good. Like, you should, we should play with them. And I was like, no, no. And, and finally, they convinced me. And in high school, we started playing music together. And that was, that was gen- like, genuinely what kind of brought us closer together and brought us back together was playing music together. And... uh yeah, I mean, you know, our relationship is, is a very different dynamic. You know, my brother was born blind, for those of you who don't know. So growing up, you know, he'd dep- he would depend on me for a lot of things. And there was, you know, I, I would say he, he would also agree with this. There was resentment that built and, and it was like, you know, it was tough. It was tough on both of us. But then here was something that came into our lives that was really unifying and that we both kind of, had such a passion for and and were on the same page about and uh yeah it was it was just like just made sense as a writer when do you when did you start writing your own music was it in high school in this band we were only doing original songs the from entire the time from, from the beginning the entire time i was in bands as a as a kid we were only doing original what's the stuff. first song you wrote a song called lead rose Oh, and it was like very like How does it go? sound. Kiss me, my lead rose. Oh. Cold oh. enchantress. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Kiss me, my <laughs> lead rose. I'm a hopeless romantic. That's all I remember. Yeah. That's all you remember. It's that's the whole chorus. That's the entire Um course. I think mine was called Steve the Dog. And I don't think oh, I know cute, it was though. called Steve the Dog. Do you remember any of it? Can you sing it? Yeah, oh, for sure. <laughs> well, it, it works in three parts. It was really anthemic. And go, like we're going to see Paul McCartney on Saturday. I know. I'm and, so and, jealous. And, and, you know, it's like those Beatles songs where it was sort of, you know, you'd have, uh, you know, the long and winding road that would be a multi, you know, three songs put together kind of thing or a yeah. day, a day in the life, I should say, you know, For where it's Steve three parts. Yeah. Steve, the dog was a lot like that. And there's like this, Steve, the dog at the end, oh we would God. get everyone to do this and sing whatever. Oh, that's nice. I say we get everyone. See, like there was he- anyone else there. <laughs> It's like your your parents and your cousin. This is like, just this is this conversation is going the wrong direction. Oh my god, no, um, I love it. I, lo- I love. The, I also love that you're like influenced by Paul McCartney, and I'm like singing a song that was definitely influenced by like a Creed song that I heard on the radio that I really loved. Was it? It was absolutely. Really? I had no idea. I mean, like, I'm a little Jewish kid from upstate New York, and listening mm-hmm. to this like like heavy duty Christian dude like singing these songs that I just loved. I love. Have oh, you ever met Scott Stepp? No, I know Cash worked with him. We. <laughs> We were we were on a we <laughs> were, a, that's a whole different we were on a uh, on a panel for 
um, it was in DC. It was for a bunch of legislation stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just strange when you're, you know, as you get older and you you look over to your right and like that's the guy from Creed. What are we? Do? What are we doing on the same panel? <laughs> this is getting weird. Um, so, you know, ex ambassadors. You you were called ex ambassadors in high school, right? Or no? <laughs> no, no. In what high was school, called, we were called. First, we were called Pocket because we ate a lot of Hot Pockets. And then we were called Subject to Change because we couldn't come up with a name. And we thought that was clever. Yeah. And, uh, and then uh, we were nameless for a while. And once we, you know, once we moved, made the move to, to New York, that was me and Noah and, uh, and Casey. And then that's where we met Adam. We started playing together in 2006, 2007. And didn't ha- just didn't have a name. I think we were called like called ourselves like the weight, like the band song, and then we were like kins, like like your brother, like your kin, but kins. And uh, there was maybe one other name, and then we landed on ambassadors because we were for you know for for the I don't know if anybody here has ever like been in a band before, but it's it's the worst part of being in a band, and the hardest part of being in any band is coming up with a name. And we were in our rehearsal space looking at objects in the room and being like, what about table? What about chair? What about tripod? Um, and Adam, he plays like coded, uh, Remo coded ambassador drum heads. So he's like, what about ambassadors? And we were like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Let's just move on. And then it wasn't until we signed with Interscope that we changed it to X ambassadors because the label wanted to put a song of ours on the soundtrack and they were trying to clear the name and there were so many ambassadors of or ambassadors and they were like, you're going to have to pay a lot of money or change the name. So we put an X in front of it. There, <laughs> that's, that's literally, that's and it. it. And it becomes, you know, it's like your gravestone will be like front man of X ambassadors. You're like, no, it's a, it was because it was formerly a drum cover. It's it's ridiculous. Um, I was in a band called Sacrilicious. And, That's great. And and we were like, we we've got to be the what only. What kind of music was it? Is it like jam bandy? No, no. My my the. Were you ever in like a jam band? We. I mean, I was in a Dave Matthews Fish cover band. Duh, of course. We. I was once at a writing camp, and and we were like, what's for lunch? And someone said fish, so we put fish on the radio oh and we had that for the whole camp we just put fish on i mean oh. that 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 was yeah oh my god um but yeah even sacrilegious was you know that was taken it's, it's incredible crazy. you sacrilegious was taken sacrilegious was taken but i mean the songs and whatever i mean the, you would think that i feel like when you when you if this is 1960s and you can be called the band because it just wasn't taken yet. Right. I mean, this people don't realize how young the recording industry is. That you know, publishing's only really vastly since 1909. I mean, yeah. copyright law from 1886 not going all the way back to that, but you know, recorded music is mostly from the 50s from Elvis is when we right. start talking about, you know, serious money. And granted that there's recorded music all through the early right, 1900s and like, 1917s jazz, and you get yeah. through, you know, radio, and you know, our, by the time you get to the recording music industry, it's really only the 50s and 60s. So there was a time where you could have names like the band, and they just weren't taken. Right. 
which is so crazy. Now it's just that you have to like spell your name in a crazy way and yeah. it has to like have uh, it's numbers and periods in it to like, yeah. you know, it's wild. It's sure. So, wild. so um, how do you get your first publishing deal? Um, our first publishing deal, well, so we were... Or did, the, or did Interscope come first? Was the No, the deal publishing first? deal came first. Yeah. That was in, um, I think, 2012 um, or 2011. We signed with Songs Publishing, which is now um, Cobalt. Um, and that was like, I mean, we, we were a baby band. We had self-released our, our first EP, which was uh, under Ambassadors. And I think when we signed with songs we were still just ambassadors uh, and so we had these 10 songs of ours that we had written and recorded on our own and taken out of like a loan of like we somehow convinced the studio to let us record this record uh, for for free essentially but we signed a contract with them that was like we're gonna bill you for it and <laughs> you're gonna eventually have to pay us back and it was like fifty thousand dollars and i think we I, I don't know what our advance was it was like not Fifteen thousand dollars or something I got from songs, not a lot, um, but it helped pay for some of that, and it helped pay uh, for some touring stuff. And we needed the money, you know. Like it was so, it, it's so funny because this this industry, it's so hard to navigate, even if you know it and have been in it for so long. And you know, I had like my, you know, my my dad's and works in the film industry and he had some people who were in music and they would all say like never sign never sign away your publishing like hold on to your publishing and and here we were like you know in the infancy of our band like signing away all yeah just like take, take it, it. <laughs> like enough money to like live off of for a month that's great okay cool we'll do it we just had to you know and and uh um that was but but also songs were uh, they were a great group of people and and they really loved the music and and were passionate about passionate enough about us to offer us a deal like right away well not to skip forward but the importance of licensing and for companies like this one yes um you know you guys are are evidence of the value of a company like deutsch because you end up with your your first real hit is renegade which ends up being licensed everywhere. Yeah. And it, you you know, we're always fighting for these slots for radio chart positions and whatnot. But you know, it's it's ex ambassadors versus Taylor Swift, Drake, you know, Adele, <laughs> Ed Sheeran, and you're trying to sneak in and be like, my check out my song. And That's if it crazy. isn't for, you know, people willing to to take a risk on on seemingly unknown artists at the time and we don't really have a shot yeah you know unless you're writing with those people yeah so what's it like when you know something like renegade takes its shape well that song i mean like god that that one really uh was such a perfect storm uh of you know having the driver of of the jeep campaign that it started in us being excuse me us being in the commercial ourselves uh, and then on top of that, you know, it, it being catchy enough for, for radio to want to play it too. And, and, uh, and radio also looks to that, I think with, especially in, in alternative and, um, they look for other drivers now. Now they're looking a lot at, at streaming. Like if a song is, is really streaming at the time, like if you had, 
you know, a million streams on a song, that was, that was fine. You know, but if you also had a commercial behind it, that was great. Now it's like, you have to have, you know, like your song has to be, you know, 20 million streams, you know, for, in order for radio to start playing it. Um, but it was the perfect storm of, of all those things of us being in the, the, ad and and then picking it up and at the ad being they had a like a multi-million dollar ad buy uh and uh it, it changed everything for us that that was our our first like foot in the door you know and and you always need that and uh if it hadn't been for the song being in a jeep campaign like that i don't i don't know if it and it, it's funny because we had actually prior to that had the song jungle come out which we did with Jamie and Commons, and that was on an EP, and that song was in a Beats by Dre headphones uh, ad for the World Cup, which was a huge spot, and it was like Nabil directed the commercial, it was this gorgeous commercial, and the spot was big, and the song was being played everywhere on television, and radio didn't pick it up, so it didn't do anything. It's you know, crazy. So sometimes, so sometimes it like you can have everything going for it. And it still doesn't pop, you know, but this was just one of those lucky situations where, you know, the driver was there with the commercial and then radio did pick it up. Um, yeah, the, the, you know, I've, this is your story, not mine. But when um, when Atlantic went to radio for my house, yeah. radio said they didn't like it and they didn't play it. And no it just happened I that... I just heard that on the radio the other day. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, but they they went and they um just because fraternities and sororities started using it on fridays and saturdays it would spike up on itunes um shout out um you know it would it would spike up on on itunes and then all of a sudden everyone's like it, it just stayed there but it was really because of that fall even though the song had come out before and then because of that, then it got into like a Domino's commercial and it started getting, and it's the same sort of thing where licensing just kind of forced it yeah. into it has to be, It has to be so forced into the yeah. rest of the world and to yeah. like all, everyone's, you know, uh, uh, sphere before it can go to radio. It's, it's, it's very rare that like it starts at, at radio and then kind of builds from there. So you write a bunch more hits on Steady, <laughs> Sucker for Pain. That one, Steady, was also one that took, we talked about this a little bit, that one took two years. It had been out, or three years. It had been out already before Renegades. Oh, and, wow. Yeah, I didn't it came out it before, before Renegades oh, right. on an EP. And so like, crazy. Yeah, and then after, you know, Renegades came out and people started caring about what we were doing, we ended up going to radio with, with Unsteady and that was a slow, slow build, but that ended up, I think that ended up actually like selling more than Renegades did. I mean, we're, we're all we're all expecting for when we release songs for them to have a really big impact week. Yeah. We're taught to think like that because the metrics show, and I'm sure that people in the advertising world can relate to this. You know, you're looking at its immediate impact, and sometimes these things have that growth. Is what we're talking about. And it's enough impact over time. Yeah. And and to have the wherewithal to stick with something, no matter where it is, and for a company to say, no, we believe in this, even if it isn't reacting today, that it will re- re- react over time. That takes you know a whole community to make that happen. Yeah, that takes a l- a lot of chutzpah, 
There you go. Um, I like that. (laughs) Sucker for pain becomes, you know, that's like a, that feels like the first time where you really wrote for somebody else. Yeah, which is so funny because this song comes up all the time. It comes up all the time with us. I lit. This was most of it was written by Dan Reynolds from Imagine Dragons, and right. I got the song sent to me from Alex, and he was like, "Do you want to try writing some like a verse on this or something?" And I came up with a little bridge thing at the end. Crazy. And that's it. That's all Perfect. I did on it, and they tacked my name on. It. So the like you've heard Ty Dolly, you've heard Wiz, you've heard uh, Lil Wayne, you've heard Dan, you've heard Logic, and then at the very end, the last like ten seconds are me singing it that my little my little section it kind of fades out. And then this song has just like become ubiquitous with our name which is so it's just so funny to me. It's I great though. To, I had to bring that up. It's a there's, great yeah, there, it's a great one. In when uh the first time I met Flo Rida was over good feeling and and I wrote the bridge when it was good feeling with the Avicii track. And then they sold the track, they had to redo it, they cut out the bridge. But for for a while at 2.5% of a worldwide number one song, yeah, I which think- was totally fine yeah. because then it would have been like, oh, it's written by this guy. Even though it's like, let's be honest, I yeah. just, I think I was I next like, door. I but think so, I have like one percent. Cool. Song. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'll, I'll make it sound like get ninety. <laughs> um, so then you know that's sort of where we left off before. Yeah, I don't know if we have any more time, but I'm gonna go anyway. Cause, let's just go. We're, okay. we're just gonna go. So you know, at that point. You you're working on another album mm-hmm. that seems like it's taking forever. Yeah, last time we talked, I was like in the midst of it because you know also like we were just going through a lot of changes. We one of the members of the band we had kicked out of the band, and you know we had stopped working with with Alex. We were working with other producers, and and the label was changing. Songs got bought by Cobalt. There was lots of stuff happening. Lots of things changing. What was it that that all those seem like? negative transitions the way you're talking about them but all of those turn out to be positive oh yeah yeah um when did you realize those were all positive i think it had to be when we finally were able to like stop and uh look at where we were we took we we stopped touring we we were we had just been on tour and thought we could make a record while we were touring which we had done on the first record which was crazy. Um, but uh, we, I think, had to take a, a breath. We looked at all the songs we written. I think it was reflected mostly in, in, um, in the songs that we had written up, into that, up to that point because they, so, they felt so raw and felt so, um, so genuine. And, and we had really leaned into this, this idea of, of, uh, um, vulnerability as a, as a band and as, uh, you know, me as a songwriter, you know, I, I fully leaned into that because I had found with unsteady, a song that was very personal, a song about my parents' divorce, you know, and, and about like that, that kind of, that feeling of, of helpless isolation as a kid. And, it was weird to write about because I was like, who, who cares? Who's going to care about this? This is like boohoo. Um, but it really, you know, affected a lot of people and had fans, you know, of ours coming up to us and talking about that. That type of vulnerability through all of this kind of struggle, we were able to really turn into our weapon. And and, uh, and I think it just, it fed into everything else that we did too with collaborating with other people too. Sure. Um, 
boom yeah. comes out and it has like you know, you and I are Ricky Reed brothers. Oh, where man, that's my we boy. share the same producer. Yeah. You do that, um, that song comes out and it has this urgency to it. Mm-hmm. Having been going through this time of like waiting for music to come out, is that was that by design to go with that song first because of that urgency? Well, originally we were going to go with a different song first. Label wanted to go with a different song. They wanted to go with uh, "Hold You Down," which we ended up putting out last. Um, and I loved that song too. I, at this point, I was kind of like, when it comes to picking singles, man. You know, I know we've talked about this a little bit. I, 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 there are a lot of songwriters that we know and artists that we know who are like, I know what that first single is. Like, I want to go with this. Like, let's go. Sometimes, I, in our in our experience as a band, the songs that have been the ones that have gone, like Renegades, we didn't think was anything special when we wrote it you know like i i just don't have that in my brain you know to like be able to be like that's a hit you know i will i will pour my heart and soul into these songs and make each of them feel like they could have the potential to be hits but like at the end of the day i don't think any of us really know which ones are going to be like the ones that pop that one boom in particular was we got a we got a sync for it. We got a really big sync for it with NBA, and we had to shift gears completely. And and also, I had kind of been leaning. I had been kind of leaning towards that one personally as the first single, just because like you can tell. Like I don't know when I was when I would play it for people who had nothing to do with the music industry. I play it for like my my friends who have uh, you know a. a a seven-year-old and an 11-year-old kid and the kids would be like boom 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 that's when i knew like oh this one's really this one's cool so you know last time um i saw you in person was at south by southwest yo i saw you i don't know if you actually did you see me up in the balcony there at the church no 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 no. i didn't i'm talking about your show not my oh right right yeah, we yeah. both we both played at South by Southwest this year, yeah. but but I saw you, you know, just to paint this picture. We're in Austin, Texas. It's a beautiful, like like stunning night. Lots of stars, really pretty. The skyline's incredible, That's illuminating cool. behind the stage where there's where there's a river, and then there's this stage. And most of us who, when you're talking about the beginning of your band, you're talking about you play in the rooms that if you can bring 150, you you play in a capacity for like 100, so that way it looks crowded. And you do that for years, and maybe you go to a capacity of 100 to, yeah. to 300, maybe 300 to 1,000. And that place was packed, and there had to be 10,000 people there. Yeah, man. And to big. see you on stage and to let loose, it seemed like you're more comfortable in front of 10,000 people than you know, than yeah. where we were when we were in, even talking in an interview last. So to see yeah. us having this interview a year ago, where you're not sure about when the album comes out, and then you're performing <laughs> in front of ten. I wasn't sure people. about anything. I was like literally having like a full on crisis when we were talking well, last. That's what it's for. It's like therapy. It was great. That's kind of what a session is anyway, though. I know. Yeah, it's true. It's true. But wanna, yeah, that was great. That was great. I, I want to talk about your other writing because I think this is important. In in the songwriting community, and if any of you know any songwriters, there's a guy named Jay Cash who's probably you know the, one of the smartest 
one of the most accomplished guys in the business right now. Um, a guy named Ricky Reed who produced his album and my album, also one of the best. And behind your back, you are their favorite writer to write with. Oh, shut up. So, That's not true. Uh, no, I mean, look, you wrote almost all the songs on the Game of Thrones soundtrack, which <laughs> happened since we last hung out. That and then crazy. you wrote three of the songs on the Lizzo album, which is another situation where... Patience does wonders because yeah, now she's you know one of the biggest artists in the world and it's it, out wild. of seemingly nowhere, out of so, nowhere, man. Well, not out of nowhere. I think she was she was just getting ready for it for a sure. very long time. You know, but both of these things, you know, if you list the people that you worked on here, whether it's SZA, The Weeknd, Travis Scott, Mary Morris, Chloe and Haley, or Hallie, sorry, Ellie Goulding, ASAP Rocky. James Arthur, Lennon Stella, and Lizzo. All this stuff happened since the last time I saw you. Yeah. How? <laughs> it's so crazy. I don't I don't know. I, I think... Why is it all happening now? I wish I could tell you. I wish I could tell you. I think that it had to do... A lot of it had to do with just, like, practically being here, being in L.A., because we had been on tour, as I said before. You know, we, we had not stopped touring. We toured from 2012 to 2000 to like the halfway through 2018, pretty much. That was like this, we were, we were on, we were gone. And then I called our manager, Seth, in a full panic. And I was like, we're touring right now and we don't have a record done and we're just touring off of new singles. I feel like I'm going crazy. So we got off the road and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be at the f- couple of the Lizzo songs. Jerome had been written prior to this. Uh, I think we started writing Jerome like at the end of 2017. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, we had been writing a little bit, but just being in LA allowed for me to finally like, hang out with people and write with other songwriters and and meet with Ricky and like play Ricky, like all of the stuff that we had been working on and build a relationship with him. And, and, uh, a lot, a lot of that stuff also really came through, uh, my relationship with, with Ricky Reed. And when we met, we had just gotten off tour and we're looking for somebody to help us like finish this goddamn record already. Like it had been so long, and uh, we sat down with Ricky and, and again, as I said, we played him like 40, 50 songs. This guy, this is a testament to this guy. He listened to every single one and like right off the bat was just like, okay, this is what I think about this one. This is what I think about this one. This is like all just kind of like first instinct and not in a way that felt, um, that felt like too harsh or too um, dismissive or, or like, uh, not harsh enough, you know, like he, he, he's very good at finding a balance and talking about stuff. And, uh, then we were all, he was also working on the Lizzo record at, at the time. And, uh, that's how we initially met. Uh, cause he had heard the song Jerome that we did with Lizzo. And, uh, and then we finished our record together, the ex ambassadors record. And when we finished that, um, by, weird so i had we had this song called baptize me that was a, just an early demo i had sent to um someone at columbia uh this guy greg johnson at columbia and 
Greg had passed that on because I, I I was trying to you know chop you know we all we all do this. I'm like, hey, what would this work for this artist? Um, I you know this this song could be good for this person, and I was just sending it out to a bunch of A and R people that I knew. And Greg showed that song to Imran. Imran heard it, thought it would be great for Game of Thrones. Showed it to Ricky, and Ricky was like, Oh, I'm I'm making a record of this guy. I know this guy. So he calls me up and he's like, hey, I know we just finished making an album together, but do you want to essentially make another album together? And I was like, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's seeing Game of Thrones and the success of that and putting out the sort of first official album with those artists, do you feel like there were certain expectations, certain pressures, and are you satisfied with the process? I I had such a blast doing it. I think when it came out, like, look, I try, I really try not to like read too many reviews or, or you know, once something's out, I just kind of let it go. What does that but mean? You try? Does that I mean try, you look at it and you're like, I'm not going to type this in, but then you do? Every once in a while, I do, and I just immediately regret it, and then I never, then I don't do it for like a year. And you then, can catch up real quick. Oh my god! I don't <laughs> so want it's to, like man. even if you wait a year, you're still going to catch up on a year. I worth know. Of. <laughs> oh my god! I just try to avoid typing my name or my band's name into Google ever. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, why? Just because I think it's it's like, well, I think to a degree, it's so it can be so subjective. You know, people's opinions about music and and I don't I also don't want to be that guy who like reads a bad review of my of my shit and then goes on Twitter and like gets mad at like some you know some person who wrote this review and it's their job like I I, I it bugs me a little bit that now this is becoming like a common occurrence you know with with people kind of going at journalists or music journalists or you know or whatnot um for their reviews unless it's something that is is inappropriate if it's you know if it's sexist if it's racist if it's a if really like awful comment that is being made then that deserves to be called out but if it's just a bad review of your i mean like just it's fine Move do you on. get nervous when you release music yeah i i i, I like go through the the biggest emotional roller coasters i'm like I'm so, I mean, this record of ours came out a month ago now and we worked on it for four years and I'm, I've been so exhausted. I haven't written anything in like a month and it feels so great. I'm just like, I just have had to just step away from it all because it's, it's just, you know, it's been a culmination of so much. And I was, I was at, by the time the record came out, I, I don't think I was nervous anymore because I had already gone through waves of like being so nervous and then just like, you know what, whatever, it's fine. I can be a teacher. I'll, I'll be all right. I'll be all right. I'll figure something out. You know, like people are going to hate this and uh, I'm just going to move on. And, you know, like uh, it's fine. Why do I care what other people think? And like, you know, so at that point I had just gone through just so much. I was, I was, I felt nothing when. <laughs> I mean, I was, nothing. We were, but, we, but other than, then we started touring and started playing shows. So that, and that then you helped. see what it looks like when people actually are there, and that made all the difference. Um, and I'm so grateful that we've started this tour when we have, which is like right after the record came out. We started playing the songs live, and you see how people react to it, and it's totally different. Having released this album, are you already? I know you said you're taking a break from writing, but. I'm filling the well right now. That's yeah. that's what I'm doing. Filling the filling the well. Yeah. Um, what but, about writing for other people? 
Uh, we've started doing a little bit of that um, again. We're, we do have some songs, though, that we have kind of a sonic direction for the next record, which is surprising. Hey. Yeah, w- during the writing process of the Game of Thrones record, I landed on this one song um, that, we, that we did and that we started with Ricky that felt really cool and different. I don't know if it's like a single or anything, but it just felt like a cool vibe and and i i think we're gonna chase that a little bit over the next couple months so there's there's a direction um i'm just at a point where i right right at this very moment i want to give my i want to take the pressure off myself of of like for most of my career as a songwriter i've i've really taken to heart that approach of like you treat it like a nine to five you go to work every day and you put your hours in even if you don't feel like doing it you go you don't feel like writing tough shit you got to go write a song today sorry it's your job and I, I think that the reality is a little it's not so black and white because you are after all dealing with emotion you're dealing with uh something ephemeral you're you're dealing with something that this can't be it's it's not it's not you know like you know uh working on a, a a factory line it's it's different and you do have to take moments to allow yourself to just like be a human being because that's your job is to like reflect what it is to be a human i like that i i I think that I don't know how much time do I have. Do I have to? Can I keep going or do I have to like <laughs> stop this thing? We were talking how we were just go to like six in the I morning because yeah. we're friends, and you guys would just have to like kind of hang out here, wrap it up a little Ra- bit. Uh, we getting that okay? Fine. Ugh. I do want to finish on saying that you know the the reason why you're successful is because you're a good person, Thank and you. people look forward to seeing you and you show up and everyone smiles and it's always like, hey, guess who's here? Or guess who I'm in with? And it's like an excitement when you're in town. Thank so you, yeah. people know when you're in town. So I'm sad that you're leaving tonight. I know. <laughs> tomorrow, tomorrow night. Tomorrow night? Tomorrow night. Jeez, man. But next time you're here, you know, we'll, we'll get back in or in New York when, if you, yeah. you know, when you come see the show. Yeah, we have to. Thank but, you. That means a lot. I think I think that's that's something that is is definitely always been my my ethos with this industry like you look it's hard enough it's hard enough to just like be in it you don't have to be a dick yes <laughs> you know great right? words of advice <laughs> you don't have to be a dick you ladies and gentlemen <laughs> sam harris from x ambassadors thank you i'm ross golan this is an episode of and the writer is those who don't know that's our theme song not literally but songwriters you could be the grand prize winner and score up to five thousand dollars in cash one of 12 martin guitars as well as a mentoring session with l king joe london or myself the lyric winner will win a opportunity to be mentored by award-winning songwriter tom douglas as well as other coveted prizes enter the 20th annual nsai song contest presented by martin guitar strings and cmt now through october 31st at nsai.cmt.com nsai the national Songwriters association International 
International is one of the biggest supporters of songwriters and played a major role in helping pass the Modernization Act, a historical piece of legislation that allows you to have a future as a songwriter. This is your opportunity to experience industry access, one-on-one mentorship with hit songwriters, and fund your creative passions. Song and lyric-only categories are open now for submissions. We can't wait to hear your songs. Today's podcast is brought to you by the musician website, Banzoogle. And for regular listeners of And The Writer Is, you already know, you can use Banzoogle to build a website, EPK. You know you can sell your music merch, commission-free. You know, you can promote your shows, collect emails from fans, send professional newsletters, all that stuff. But Banzoogle, since season four of And The Writer Is, has now added a new crowdfunding feature that lets you crowdfund your next project commission-free. That means you don't need a record deal anymore to pay for your album. You now can do pre-orders. You can do do your own bundling with digital music and CDs and vinyl. You can report sales to SoundScan. You can create custom merch bundles. I mean, it's really an all-inclusive website. It's really impressive. So you can go to bandzoogle.com and try it free for 30 days. Or you can use the promo code ATWI to get 15 percent off the first year of any subscription that's banzoogle.com promo code atwi to build a website for your music i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to And The Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. Today's multi-platinum songwriting frontman and philanthropist is as versatile as he is talented. Having worked with everyone from Lil Wayne, Wiz Khalifa, Logic, Imagine Dragons, and Ty Dolla Sign, all in one song, by the way, to Zed and And The Writer Is alum, B.B. Rexa, all the way from Ithaca, New York, it's gorgeous, This this singer doesn't just say he'll be a philanthropist. He puts his money where his mouth is. And the writer is ex-ambassador's frontman, Sam Harris. I just got so nervous hearing that intro. I'm like fully, oh my God. Also, I've been getting texts from every single one of like my manager and my like A&R being like, good luck today. This podcast is great. I listen all the time. So really? Yeah, yeah, I'm a little nervous. I'm a little nervous. Shout out manager and A&R guy. Shout out. Um, Suits. 
That's really cool. So uh, just to give the it's gorgeous thing. Oh, my God. Explain that joke. Thank you for making that joke. So uh, I come from Ithaca, New York. There are lots of gorges in Ithaca, and there's a T-shirt that's, uh, I think it was, like, sold at Urban Outfitters. Ithaca is gorgeous, and you see people wearing it, and it's, uh, yeah. It's gorgeous. It's like gorgeous. Gorgeous. Yeah. But my friends yeah, that went to- Yeah, like gorgeous. Yeah, yeah sorry. I should clarify of, that. G-O-R-G-E-S. Yes. Yeah, not That's gorgeous. the pun. Yeah, yeah. But I have friends that went to school in Ithaca, yeah. and- uh, because there are two schools there. Yeah, so the Ithaca College is there, um, which has the great music program, great acting program, and uh, I think a really good uh, communication school. And then there's Cornell, which is Ivy League, you know, frat houses and that whole that whole business. Why uh, Why did you grow up there? <laughs> That's a very good question. Um, so my folks uh, moved. We I was actually born in Seattle um, in... Uh, in Green Lake, do you you know that kind of area? No, but yeah. it's one of those cities. I grew up in Riverwoods yeah. and Green Lake. It's just like They're you kind of get the right yeah. idea of. Yeah. I don't have to describe the town as from Riverwoods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a there's a river and there's some, <laughs> and there's and some and there's trees. Or well, deer, the lake is not field. the lake is not green in Green Lake, but oh, I was okay. born there. And uh, my my parents, uh, my dad is a publicist for uh, for in film. And uh, they had moved from L.A. because he was like, I got to get out of L.A. He grew up in L.A. and, and met my mom here. Uh, she was a singer. And they moved to Seattle. You know, it was northwest. It was like calm, peaceful. He could still commute easily. Uh, and he was always on set too. So uh, they figured it was, a, it was a close enough to L.A. Did he work on anything we know? He has worked on so many crazy movies. Like what? He worked, so the first thing he did was Gremlins. Wow. Then he did Goonies. Oh my God. Then he, I know. And then he did The Sandlot. So like all of the movies from our childhood, like I don't know how, I don't know how old you are, but I'm, I'm almost 30 and that, that's like, those are all the movies from my, from my childhood. And he worked on them. And uh, he also worked on, he worked on Gladiator, Thomas Crown Affair, uh, crazy perfect storm he he's so does like, he have oscars then? he doesn't have Oscars. so he's a unit publicist a unit publicist is is um basically his job is the guy on set to be super friendly and like convince the actors and directors like to take five minutes and do an interview with you know entertainment weekly like oh, in right. their trailer you know and get and get photo approval from people that's his job and he hangs like my memories of hanging out with my dad on set was him reading a paperback novel, like sitting on the curb somewhere, like just saying That's hi really to everybody. Cool. Yeah, yeah, it was it was amazing. It was so cool to to grow up with that. But anyway, so so they moved um, they moved to Seattle, and then uh, they decided that that wasn't calm and peaceful enough, so they wanted to go like even further away from everything, and they moved to Ithaca because my mom is originally from. Uh, Rochester, upstate New York, and and uh, Eastman also good music school. Yeah, yeah, Rochester is great, man. <clears throat> you know, it's all those cities in upstate have kind of. Why gone are there good through. music schools? And because Syracuse has a good school, and I don't and know. NYU has yeah. a good school, and I mean, yeah, 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 it's an interesting area to have. I to mean, have NYU like, makes more sense than right if it's New York, and, right? Yeah, but. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, 
Did your parents play music? Yes. Yeah, so my mom was a singer. My oh, mom right. was a uh, she did like cabaret, jazz, uh, kind of lounge stuff. She worked as a musician for. Her entire life. I mean, she still sings a little bit every once in a while now, but uh, she, yeah, she, um, right after college, she started working full-time as a freelance musician in LA. She worked in Atlanta. She worked, uh, uh, she worked all over the place. Did uh, you, um, did they teach you instruments? So, not really. I mean, because you you're in a band. Like, I mean, I'm in a let's band, yeah. let's give give the story of your band because you're in a band with your your brother. Yeah, yeah. Which is so, super unique yeah. to get that. You know, I imagine that that means that you guys were in a band together when you were three going on. You know what? Actually, no. We didn't start playing together until we were in high school. So my brother and I have had a, we have a very complicated, yeah, I love him so much. We have a very complicated relationship. Why? You know, well, because... Growing up with me as his younger brother and him, uh, he's he's like two years older than me. He's blind. He was born blind. And so a lot of our childhood, I, you know, uh, took I, I kind of looked out for him, took care of him. But I was his little brother too. So there's like a little bit, there was like a little bit of a contentious kind of like, you're my little brother, you shouldn't be taking care of me, but I rely on you for certain things. So there was a lot of tension growing up until... We started playing music together in high school and that kind of like melted some of that tension away. And uh, Is that why you guys started playing music together? No, we started playing music together because everybody else in my band knew how good my brother is or knew how good my brother was. He would like sneak down to the bay. We'd have rehearsals in our basement and he would sneak downstairs while I was like not there and jam with the rest of the band. And when I'd come down, he'd just be there with his and keyboard. And what instrument? Uh, he plays Yeah, he plays keyboards. keyboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he calls it the um, the stereotypical blind man uh, instrument. Yeah. <laughs> why, why is... Because it's a complicated instrument. Maybe it's because you don't see white and black keys. You're just... He has a little bit of his vision. So okay. he has like 10% of his vision. It was the easiest thing for him to see because of the contrast of the keys. Um, and then he, uh, yeah, and he realized he could pick stuff up pretty easily by ear. Uh, he did have a great teacher, uh, this woman, Molly McMillan, uh, in Ithaca, and she's an incredible jazz pianist. She actually accompanied my mom, uh, for, for most of the time that my mom was a, a, a working musician. And so he learned from her and yeah, just loved it. Like just became completely obsessed with it. Did you ever find that being in a band with your brother was that was that ever a thing where it's like I, w- I want to do my own thing? I mean, there has to be a, a point where just that's in why the I didn't same... want him in the band. Yeah, I was like, I was like, no way are you taking over my? This is my thing. Yeah, I'm like you, you know, you can play music on your own, but yeah. like, let me have my own thing. So it it definitely took just everyone kind of in my band at the time. What was that uh, band called? We were called the Fuzz Brothers okay. at the time. Yeah. Uh, I don't know where that name came from. You have uh, a beard? Maybe yeah, it's from... Yeah, I, I had a beard back then. Uh, I, yeah, I was an early bloomer. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't know where that name came from. We we I mean, God. I've were you releasing so music times. at that time? We were. We were. We but were. when is this? High school? This is high school. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So I started, I started recording... 
myself and writing songs. I started writing songs when I was like 12. Um, and because I, I started my first band in, it was sixth grade, I think. What was um, uh, your first song called? Uh, our, for I one of our like, one of our first songs was called Lead Rose. Lead Rose. Yeah, yeah. Was it like Pearl Kiss Jam me, style? my Lead Rose. Ah, Cold Enchantress. Kiss me, my Lead Rose. I'm a hopeless romantic. It was great. It was full like '90s alt rock. Oh my god, it was amazing. Did were you cool in high school? I was so not cool. Like, did people no. like, wow, he's a singer of a band? Or no, no. Okay. no. I was like a musical theater geek. Oh, nice. Yeah, I did a lot of musical theater. Uh, I was, I did acting stuff before I actually got into music. So, I was very not cool. Uh, and then in high school, I just fully embraced the not cool and kind of became cool because I just embraced it so hard. You know, in middle school, it's like that weird transition where like I came from I came from an elementary school and all of I was really close with all my friends and it was a tight, tight knit community. And then you come to middle school and like I remember, oh my God, the first day of middle school, I walk in and I'm wearing my I'm like so proud. I'm wearing I'm so excited. There are all these new kids. I'm wearing my favorite t-shirt. And so it's got a whale on it. And I this is this is fucking, this is real. This is real. I was walking down the hallway, like, you know, just strutting my stuff. And this kid passes by me. He's like, nice t-shirt, whale boy. Oh, no. And from that <laughs> point on, just my, I, my soul was crushed. It was like fully crushed. And it took me until high school, I think, to, to regain some of my confidence. For real, that one Oh, is- my God. It was, it was... I mean, I'm I'm exaggerating a little bit. I mean, obviously not. You remember the moment. I fully remember this moment. Do you know you know who the dude is. I know 100%. who the dude is. Yeah, Do, I he, forget his name remember? now. I think, no, you didn't forget his name. I know. I I forgot his For name. Real? I forgot his name. Yeah. Um. But I I don't know if I ever. He was like two years older than me. I could also be confusing him with a different person. I've, I fully, it was a very traumatic experience, obviously, because I've blocked it out of my memory. Other than that, other than the words that echo in my head. When I was, every in, morning, I remember I once up. in high school walking through the halls, and and my sister was visiting, and I walked by my sister, and I don't even think I said hi to her. Oh. Like I was just, I like, gave her like massive shade. Yeah, she's like. Don't ever. She's older, and she was just like, "Don't you ever do that again?" Oh, and wow. I was like, "Oh, oh, this is really interesting." Like. The there's repercussions with like whether or not I interact with humans in a hallway <laughs> and like how how I interact with oh people. Are you how how old, much older is your sister? Four years older. Okay, cool. And then Kusha Gujarati, who is uh, my year in yeah. Deerfield High School, who is 100 not listening to this. Yeah. <laughs> when we were uh, we were like seniors about to graduate, and she was like, you know, you were. You weren't very nice when you started high school, but you're much nicer now. Aww. And I just remember that and being like, huh, I think it might have been the moment where I don't know if I was nice or not. Knowing me, I was probably just writing in my head yeah. and like walking around like mouthing things. Yeah. You yeah, know? yeah. Yeah. But I think that moment was one of those things that yeah. where I was, oh, yeah, I should, you know, I should probably yeah. be a nice human. Yeah. Not Do that you... I was a dick, but I think right. I was, I wasn't particularly nice. I think right. I was just. It was Hadn't just learned social myself. graces yeah, of yeah. high school yet. 
I didn't call anybody whale boy. Yeah. Oh my god, man. Sorry to bring that up again. Really messed me up. I know. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like feeling panic just thinking about it, yeah. talking about it. Um, it's weird how it, music sort of inspires people to. I don't know. It it is it is an outlet for us, and whether you mean to do it or not, you kind of yeah. The idea of being in a band, I'm. I know my. I know a couple of my bandmates. Were you from, in, yeah? So you were yeah. You were in a my band. bands in high school yeah. for sure. They're listening. A couple of them are listening to this like yeah. right now, and um, they you know that was the thing that that was my activity that I liked because yeah. I don't think I liked a lot of my relationships in high school. Uh-huh. So I think yeah. that was my sanctuary. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know was. Covering Third Eye Blind in a basement. Oh my god! I definitely, yeah, definitely doing Third Eye Blind covers. I was obsessed with the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I was like a huge, huge Red Hot Chili Pepper fan. Growing was up. that influencing how you were writing? Of course, absolutely. Right? None of my lyrics made a lick of sense. It was just like all about melody and uh, like that, like that kind of like breakbeat thing uh, and. Yeah, I mean, some of my it's it's. Do you ever do you ever go back and listen to your songs from from like high school and middle school? I can't, I can't I, do it. I it, also we, was musical theatery, and so it was yeah. somewhere between Ani DeFranco <laughs> and musical theater. Which, by the way, I love it. I'm like I'm I'm doing an album right now. Um, uh-huh. That's coming out on Interscope, oh, and nice. it's uh, and it's like this musical that I started like. In a way, before I knew what I was doing as a songwriter, right, and it's gone over through these processes. Uh-huh. But to me, it's like it's the closest thing to me being my being my natural. That is so state. cool. That's my, so cool. My natural state of a of a musician is somewhere between uh, a, a more urban Ani DeFranco. <laughs> It's so weird to say that, but like I think a that's cool accurate. Andrew Lloyd Webber kind of yeah. Sure, I'll take that. Oh my god, that's that. Yeah, that's like my. I'll take that. That I mean, I'll, I'll tell you the first, the first like piece of music I remember falling in love with when I was like a kid, when I was like four, was the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. Theme. Yeah. Dun, yeah. Dun, 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 dun. It was so just arresting and amazing yeah. i i was yeah i was i was fully i was i was such a musical theater not, geek, not to go off in this tangent but the most valuable let's go off on all the time okay. i, I want to go the off most on all the, the most valuable songwriter yeah. in the world is andrew lloyd weber yeah and second is stephen schwartz who did wicked wow um not including people like Alan Menken, who did uh-huh. yeah, Beauty and the Bees, right. plus oh. many others. Like those, those people are worth way more than the Jay Zs. Yeah, which is shocking when when you do the math. I've been kind of learning about the economics of of musical theater, which they don't discuss in LA very often. Yeah, but the value of a hit musical is worth more than the value of a hit movie that the largest wow. the largest selling there's one movie i believe that has surpassed a billion dollars maybe two with black panther uh-huh. in um in the u.s well that's the, the new avengers movie right didn't that and movie make like the most that, money ever made ever of all, any movie all i ever? know is that there are th- there are three musicals that are over three billion 
and you know Lion King and maybe it's Les Mis, maybe Phantom kind of thing. And then worldwide, I think there's one movie that surpassed three billion, and that's Titanic or Avatar, one of those. And there are two musicals that are over six billion. Double that. Over six billion? Worldwide. Over, you know, 20, 30, 40 year period. But this is the thing is that we're the songwriting community discusses, you know, pop music and flash in the pans. And when you talk about evergreens, you're still talking about songs that have a value of, you know, the biggest songs. Let's say beat it. You know, right. maybe over its lifetime, maybe that's fifty, maybe it's a hundred million. Maybe right. it, let's go crazy and say it's worth five hundred million. It's still not near the biggest. That's you know that's when you're saying crazy. when you're saying um, Phantom of the Opera. Right. Granted that it takes way longer to get up on yeah. on a show, and then mm-hmm. it has to be licensed like crazy, and it mm-hmm. has to be, you know, it's rare that we have a Hamilton. You know, most yeah. most Tony Award winning shows you don't even know the songs of. You right. know? Yeah, but, but it makes sense because those those are shows that are gonna. Just go on. I mean, sure. like Phantom, I think only just stopped, just ended its run on Broadway, but it was on Broadway for like, a, I mean, you're not going to see it. Avengers is not going to be in theaters for the next like 20 that's, years. That's the thing. You know what I'm you're, making, you're making its revenue in a short <clears throat> period of time. And then now because of syndication going down, you know, there, it's rare that you have, yeah. you know, a Seinfeld or a Friends, mostly you, TV shows go straight to Netflix, yeah. and then they buy the buy rights up front, yeah. so they're not paying residuals the same way as they used to. the the real If there's the real money in the music industry, if you can ever get it, is a hit musical. Wow, it's just really hard to get. Okay, I'm ch- I'm shifting gears. I'm yeah. gonna fully. I don't shift think you gears. should do that, but <laughs> you know what? Honestly, no. I think everyone should do whatever they. As yeah. a songwriter, I think everyone is so used to yeah. chasing the same thing, and it's yeah. um, it's a weird battle out here for radio, and it's a weird battle for New Music Friday, yeah. and a lot of those things, even on. On any level, it's fleeting, but for sure, it's fleeting if you're aiming small. Yeah. So if the goal is to try to create something that lasts a long time, and for you, it's more yeah. like creating a brand with a band. Right. That has more value than individual that is a, songs. Yeah, 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 that's something that's you know? a little bit of a bigger scope. So let's go back to that a little bit. Yeah. Um, let's go to X Ambassadors. So uh. you go from uh, Fuzz... Brothers? Fuzz Brothers. Oh boy. Yeah, I know. It was so bad. It's so bad. I I don't know what because you was had to going go on in my say, brain. Mom and dad comes come and see come the, my listen band. to my band and Fuzz you to, Brothers. Yeah. You had to have a sense of humor about it. And in Ithaca, I was so serious about it. I was like, "This is the coolest name." Were you guys massive <laughs> stoners? Um, I wasn't, but everybody. So I started the band originally with my with my friend Noah, who I who I knew when I was like f- since I was five. He was a massive stoner. My brother's a massive stoner. I was always around it, so like I would just kind of end up just being, you know, blazed out of my mind with everybody. But I, I would, I was kind of the one driving the train a little bit. So I, I was the one who would get annoyed. They would play like polka beats, you know, just to annoy me. You know, it, it's like being in a band is is so. Oh, it's it, it's amazing, and and when you're just starting out, it's just like a lot of just like noise just chaos full chaos we used to write songs and i'm so glad that we don't do this anymore but like 
when I started out writing songs, it was like everybody in the room all at once. Tr- I would try to convince everyone to start some sort of like a groove, like a jam. And then, and then once we found that, I would be sitting there trying to write lyrics and come up with melodies while there's all this noise going on. And while like they're, they're messing around and like playing. It's like an urban po- session. It was, oh my God. Oh my God. It was <laughs> it's crazy. Like when, you, when you show up and there's 15 people talking and then you're like the one guy there trying to write Just lyrics. fully distracted <laughs> all the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was, so when did when did the band start as ex ambassadors? We started as ex ambassadors when we all moved to New York. Um, so we Noah and I uh, moved in 2006. Met our drummer Adam, uh, who's who's still playing with us, and and uh, Casey moved a year later. So Casey had graduated and went to a piano tuning school specifically for the blind in uh, Washington State, like right kind of on the border between um, Washington and, uh, and Oregon, right near Portland. And he went to this technical school for two years, moved to the city, got a job within the first week that he was there. And so he was working at this piano store on like 52nd street and, uh, and seventh Avenue. And, uh, we were in college and yeah, that's where we started. That's, that's where it all began. 2007. Did you go to college? 2008. Yeah. I went to new school university. Uh, did the other guys? So, um, my brother didn't go to college. He just went to that technical school and Adam, we met in the dorms. I slid him the fuzz brothers, uh, uh, demo. And he's like, we're changing that. He was like, no way. Yeah. No, he he loved it. He loved it. He's like he, Fuzz Brothers forever. Fuzz Brothers for life. For yeah. life. For life. Um, how soon from when you started were you recording music? Well, so I had started I had started learning how to record myself when I was like 13. I got an internship at a a, um, a studio in Ithaca that was this little rinky-dink thing and me and my buddy uh at who were we were in like a hip-hop R&B duo at the time I was a singer and he would rap and so kind of uh, Lincoln Park ish not not even like more like Jurassic 5 Oh sick yeah. I used to I was I like used, I used to open for them Really and it was like I was, my first band I ever I mean I, for like 3 weeks but that was I yeah. opened for them on my first record That my is first that's record That's crazy Yeah I was Charlie fully, Tuna that guy was oh, amazing Charlie Tuna Yeah I was I was like a a real Backpacker, yeah. hip hop dude. When yeah. I was in like six and seven, to live and all those guys. Oh my god, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, I had started learning. I, I kind of like learned a little bit recording technique from from that internship, and then just started like with every every paycheck that I got because uh, I started working at you know restaurants and stuff mm-hmm. as soon as I could. As soon as I could work, I was I was working. Um, and every little paycheck that I'd get uh, or any bit of money I'd get, I'd put towards just like buying a bunch of really shitty gear. Like I'd get like those Behringer mixers. Yeah. I got the Tascam USB mixer thing. So I like started, I started kind of learning how to record myself uh, and and our band very early on because we just had no money to 
go into a proper studio. And that was like, that was so out of the question. But I knew that other people were doing it. Were you playing in New York? No, this was back in Ithaca. And then in New York, I, I continued kind of that same process, but I had le- I didn't have any of my crappy gear. So I, I had to like relearn how to do everything with plugins and, and digitally. And, and uh, I started working on... Uh, that turns out to be more valuable. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Now my setup is so, so streamlined. What is it? It's a Duet and an SM58. That's so sick. That's it. And I, I recorded vocals for Renegades, for Unsteady, for Jungle. All of those vocals are just from that SM58 in my Duet from my backpack. Uh, the vocals for Jungle were recorded in my uh, fiance's... Uh, kitchen in her tiny apartment in Brooklyn. Renegades was in uh also in my fiance's my fiance's childhood home that she grew up in uh cuz I was staying there. I was I was homeless for for a while so I was always at her place. Why were you and homeless? I'm not homeless. I mean I homeless in the sense that like I was broke and trying to be a musician and I couldn't yeah. afford rent to my homeless. apartment. So that's, I that's so, called yeah. I mean that is sort of homeless so, and like it's legit like you know for for about a year <laughs> plus I so I I I like quit my job and and decided I was I was going to really like if I was going to actually make this band happen this is around like 2010 I know I'm jumping all over the place right now but uh I uh yeah I quit my job I got like a lucky tax refund I got like seven grand and I was like, I can live off this for a full two years. <laughs> and uh, that didn't that didn't happen. But I subletted my place in New York and uh, and just stayed with my my girlfriend and and uh, did she have a job? She was working at a school. She was working at the Brooklyn Waldorf School. Uh-huh. Um, and I was just like, you know, I, I squandered that money away and I lived off of I got a one year I got like a from three different relatives I got $100 Starbucks gift cards so I lived off of Starbucks like breakfast sandwiches sure sure for a while yeah um, I I feel like I'm perpetually paying my wife back for yeah, her I know when I we know. first met and it's like I I'm broke yeah. so broke yeah 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 Giving my place back to a bank and she's she's coming home from a mm-hmm. from a real job and when pick up take out from really like for real restaurants you know yeah. real food and yeah i was eating those corner store sandwiches i lived off of yeah. in new york from the bodegas that were like four or five bucks and you know that was two meals right there they were big enough that you could have one half for lunch one half for dinner but she was supportive of you that you got to stay i mean Hey, shout that's, out that's to my ride or die. Yeah, shout exactly. out to my shout out to Tess. So, there you go. But anyway, so I was recording. You know, that's that's. Uh, I was recording when I was a kid, and I learned how to do that and carried that through. So until, how does it give to? I mean, you get you get discovered. <clears throat> something happens between when I read that you've been you were discovered by Dan Reynolds from yeah. Imagine Dragons. Uh-huh. Something happens from corner shop sandwiches to uh, Imagine Dragons, seeing right. or hearing you, how does that happen? So MySpace? we know. So what <laughs> happened, it's even crazier. This is why I feel like a bunch of, a lot of our career has just been based on, you know, if you can stomach it, do everything 
that you possibly can. Play every gig you possibly can. Um, because this, they heard of us um, through a, we did like this, this, there was this blog called Alter TV in Pittsburgh and they would do acoustic performances. And we were on tour opening for uh, Lights. Do you know Lights? Yeah. Canadian? Or, yeah. Canadian. She's great. So we, she's amazing. She was the first person who took us out on like a proper tour. Nice. So we were opening for her, and we were in Pittsburgh. And who our, connected that? Our manager, Seth. So you had a manager. We had a manager uh, starting in 2011. So, so to back up a little bit, once we graduated in 2010, a friend of ours was working at like a real studio, and he was a great engineer and wanted to record us. So we were like, we found a way to convince his boss who owned the studio to let us record an EP on spec. And that like once we put it out, we would pay back the money. And it was like a lot of money for the time. It was like, it was like $50,000, the studio bills That's that we racked nice. up. Yeah. And we uh, were like, we really don't know if we're ever going to be able to pay this back, but let's... Let's take a chance. And so we recorded this EP. And that was what we were out on the road supporting when we did this uh, this blog uh, performance. The guys from Imagine Dragons saw that performance. Uh, How did they see it? I so why they, were they this, watching? That? They were in no offense, a van. but like that's such a strange thing to just happen to. F- well, this is why this is it gets even crazier. So one of the songs from that EP had made it onto a Spotify playlist. Spotify was like just kind of like starting. Made it onto a Spotify playlist from some a blogger, a fashion blogger. A person from a radio station in Norfolk, Virginia heard that song, played it for the program Which one? director. What song was that? Uh, the song called Litos. Okay, yeah. Uh, this acoustic ballad. Played it for the radio programmer there. They That station, 96X in Norfolk, Virginia... Always, always show love. They started playing this song. I'm just kidding. That would be be incredible, though. That would be amazing. Yeah, keep going. They started playing the song, and the song became their number one played song of the year. Wow. It was insane, and we weren't signed. And they were the only radio station playing this. But when the Dragons were in town playing uh, a show there, the guy driving them around, they they were like asking this guy questions like, what kind of music are you into? Like, what are you listening to? And the guy was like, this band, Ambassadors. We weren't even ex-ambassadors at the time. Uh, that was that was illegal? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah it was okay. a legal thing. Yeah. Um, Former, so, formerly ambassadors. Yeah, formerly ambassadors. Smart. Yes, yes. Um, so w- he was like, I'm listening to this band called Ambassadors. And uh, he played them the acoustic performance from that alter tv session of a song called unconsolable and they loved it and showed it to alex the kid who then signed us to his label kid in a corner which is with interscope and that's kind of where it and all so it goes yeah, and so it goes um so most of us find out about you through renegade and through the jeep commercial <laughs> and and what's interesting with our listenership yeah is that a lot of people are trying to figure out how to get songs placed in commercials tv film and to get that kind of placement is so sacred yeah and it's potentially more valuable than Mm -hmm. radio play 
because you get the full attention of the the listener yeah. and whatnot. How did you get that being an unknown band? <sighs> Man, it was. I mean, a Who lot got of that credit. A lot of credit goes to um, Alex and the Interscope team. Uh, you know, we had we signed to them in 2013. That's that sync happened in 2015. Um, we had already had a you know, a song that was in a big campaign, um, Jungle, which was with Jamie and Commons. Uh, it was in the um, Beats by Dre World Cup uh, commercial. And that was that was massive. And again, I think that was just like right timing. And Alex had a good relationship with Jimmy Iovine, who was, you know, running, who was running Beats, obviously. And, and, uh, showed him the song and Jimmy really liked it and put it in the Amazing. commercial. Um, so that kind of put us on the radar as a, a, you know, a band that worked well with, with sync. And, uh, yeah, you know, we, I was, you know, we were trying to write a song. We were at a point when we wrote that song, um, we had written, we had completed the record our our album like two different times and scrapped it two different times because, you know, we had we thought we had momentum with Jungle, wrote a record, and then Jungle didn't take off at radio. So we had this to is kind of all scrap having it. been signed to Interscope. It's all having been signed to Interscope yeah. and putting out two EPs with them. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, you know, and so we wrote another version of the record and played it for everybody. And they were just kind of like, yeah, okay, but let's wait until we have more momentum. And so we scrapped that. And then Renegades came at the very last minute and, and the song very quick, like imme- as we were writing it, Alex was like, I'm, Alex and Interscope were working with Jeep on trying to create a song because Jeep had had some success with like another song that was linked to like a car, one of the, their campaigns. So they wanted to try and do that again. Uh, with like simultaneously having a, a hit song that was like in their commercial and drawing that. So that drew people back to the car and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so we were writing the song and, and he was like, I think this will work for the campaign. And The song was number one on alternative radio for, for 12 weeks. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, like 11. I 11, think 11 weeks? I think you're being generous. I think it was 11 weeks, I think. 10 and a half weeks. 10 and a half weeks. Okay, well, it's a... It's a um, do your parents at that point understand why you've been pursuing? I mean, what what was the vindication yeah. like when your song reached well, it was, to that? To be honest, man, it was really weird for us because it was it, it felt really great to finally like have people paying attention to us. Um, but you know, it the song itself, and this is what I'm struggling with now, writing the second record, uh, is that the song didn't feel it felt very different from all the other stuff that we had been writing. We had been writing these, you know, like kind of um, R&B infused, uh, like alternative, dark alternative rock songs. Um, and, or or these like soulful kind of like songs like Unsteady, which had been written before um, around the same time we wrote Jungle. So to do this like kind of folky, thing it just it felt very strange to us uh but you know we 
kind of, I mean, we just went with it, obviously, because if it's a hit, it's a hit and it's going to go. Sure. Um, so it I was mean, a that's... weird space for us to be performing a song where we're like, okay, like, I didn't think, to be honest with you, I was like, I don't think this song is that great. I don't know why everyone's freaking out. I don't think it's, the, I don't think it's that great. Why is that? The, that story happens all, all the, the time, time right? with the first song being, this isn't, you know, there's another band I know that just released a song that labels right or an album and the label felt like they had the single and they decided not to release the single or put it on the album because they felt it was too hit-ish. Oh, see that's And they dumb. felt they And and then you hear stories about, you know, Cheryl Crow oh, who yeah. said who didn't want all I want to do to come out because she didn't think that was very good. And this story just happens all the time where the first <sighs> single somehow doesn't represent the band. And as a songwriter, that makes all the sense in the world. Right. Because we're constantly trying to give the song that separates itself from the pack. Yeah. So it should be an outlier. Right. If it sounds like the pack, then it's just one of 12. Huh. See, I never thought about it like that. That makes... That makes perfect sense. So many artists have, they can write that 12 over and over and over and over again. Right. But they can't write that one. And right. that's where it's better to aim for the song that's so outside of yeah. the sound. And naturally, in my opinion, just when the singer starts singing it, it sounds like the band. Right. And no one, no one cares one way or the other whether yeah. it's, they, they don't hear the same difference as you hear. Right. But it makes all the sense in the world as an as a songwriter. Yeah. As an artist, I could see that being so confusing. Yeah. Because then you have to try to replicate a oh sound that doesn't feel natural. I we just did an interview with this guy, this DJ, and I'm not. I don't remember his name. And I'm, if I did, I would sh I would call this guy out because he asked the the worst question. What is it? He was like, <laughs> he said. Did he have an accent? No, oh, okay. uh, no, he He's was not an uh, international DJ. No, not no. Okay. It was in, I think it was in right. Texas. Right. <clears throat> um, DJ Texas. He was like, so how do you feel about your song Renegades? Uh, that song was a massive hit. How do you feel about that song defining your band for forever? I wanted to strangle this guy because this is what I've been like. Writing the second record, this is the question that I've been asking myself because we're still kind of like searching for that, what's going to be that foot in the door for this next one. And it's been driving me crazy. It's been driving me absolutely insane because that song was so different. And when it came, when we finished it, I genuinely was like, this feels kind of corny to me. I don't really know. You know, so so from that point on, I've like, it's been hard to to regain any sort of confidence in my own taste. Still? Still, yeah, yeah, yeah. Still with like songs, I'm always surprised. I'm always surprised by the songs that I play for, you know, A&R for, for whoever and someone says, that's, that's a hit. That's the one. I'm like, really? Do they tend to agree? Um, or do they all say that's it, and they're all different? Um, well, there's there's a lot of that, but like when you know, for is uh, there one song that bubbles up to the top? There's always songs that bubble up to the top. That I, lately, it's been songs that I also think are really really great. Cool, but those so songs you guys are on haven't the same page. right. But those songs haven't done as well as Renegades. 
commercially. Yeah, but you can't judge it by that. I know. I know I can't. But I'm like still, I, it's, it's, it's hard because we can't, we're in this process of getting this next record together and we're waiting for that momentum that, that we need from a song Adding, that does as well right. as something like Renegades. I mean, there is something in we talk about a lot where the, the hit song is sort of your tour. You yeah. know, it, it goes around before you ever can keep yeah. up with it. You just can't keep up with a hit song. A real hit song is a worldwide yeah. thing that you're not traveling that fast, yeah. you know? Um, and those are obviously very difficult to yeah. do because otherwise everyone would do them. Yeah. I think one of the things you mentioned that's interesting is in a band, and I'm sure there are a lot of people who can relate to this, is is creating your own momentum and adding the adrenaline to the conversation. Yeah. How do you get someone, if you're sending in 60, 70, 80, 100 songs, skipped a couple there, yeah. but if you, if, you, <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you give 100 songs, why would this one stick out to... A label or yeah. to a licensing person, and also trying in you know in this world trying to simultaneously like create a song that is a hit that that also feels unique enough that everyone else in the world is going to be like, who wrote this? You know, right? Because with a song like Renegades, that song took off and. No one knew who we were. I mean, like the, people barely even knew that it was it was a song by ex ambassadors. They just knew the song. Do you resent that? No, but I, you know, like what I would like to try and do is is you know like raise ourselves up to the level of some of the songs we've written. It was the same thing with Unsteady. And what was weird about those two songs coming out and being both being successful is that they sound. In my mind, they sound like two different bands, but I guess I, I you know, I can't be objective yeah, about it. They don't. Yeah, because it's the same singer. Yeah, this is. I mean, nobody can tell the difference. Yeah, no one, no one would listen to those two and be, oh yeah, those are two different bands. Yeah, that's just not how that works. I know. If there was two singers, then maybe, but even that, they, you know, it's still Oasis. You yeah. had two singers. You, you. Knew which songs were Oasis. It's all it's all in my head. I'm just I'm an I'm an insanely neurotic you, Jewish person. Yeah, you know, it's, join it's, the club. Yeah, are you, yeah. Are you, <laughs> it runs um, in my runs in my veins. Right. Runs in my family. Are you scared of the sophomore album? I mean, it's not. It's so, so we'll go with sophomore major label album. I wouldn't. Say are you scared, scared of the sophomore slump? I am refusing to let that happen. That's why it's been taking so long for us to write this record. Do you feel like you're in a rush? I don't. I don't feel like I, I'm. I mean, a little bit. I mean, look, we're all gonna die someday. You know, like I want to put this record out before I die. That would be nice. That'd be nice. Yeah. Um, but uh, what if it was the last? I mean, I, I guess there's something with very few people have um, can can look back on their life and say I released multiple big things. Mm -hmm. So. Is it worth taking your time and releasing something that you know is bulletproof just to make sure it's out or and and just releasing one more thing? You know yeah. what I mean? When you say, oh, yeah, but we die, so it would be nice for it to come out. Yeah. I think that's fair because you're thinking of still releasing this one body of work mm -hmm. and not multiple bodies of work and yeah. you're still focused on this one. But I think a lot of times people are in a rush. Oh, I need to get this out right now. Yeah. Like, no, no, no. 
Yeah. No, no one's waiting for anybody's album. Yeah. yeah. It's so rare that, unless it's Beyonce, which no offense. Yeah. You know. It's Beyonce. It's Beyonce. Yeah. But even even that, it doesn't necessarily mean it, it moves units. Yeah. I think what's great about the current climate is that you can be releasing a bunch of singles and you can get as an artist, as someone who is inherently the most impatient person on uh, on the planet, you know, I, I, of course I, I'm, I feel like I'm in a rush. I'm like, this has to come out now. This is a great song. Why is this not out now? Why do we have to wait? Um, but you can, you can put songs out, see if they work. And then if it doesn't work, you can put another song out. We could continue theoretically putting, you know, like four songs out, five songs out a year and keep that momentum going until we find one that like really sticks and then put the record out. What you size know? venues do you play? We're doing we're doing theaters, we're doing I mean we just we just sold out Red Rocks, which is amazing. Congrats. That's huge. Yeah. How many it was is that? huge. That's 9600 people. Wow. Yeah. Are you doing crazy. that in every city? No, no. We're doing like, I think on average, like 2,500, which is. How much were you, how many were you playing for before Renegades? Um, 25. How many people before Unsteady? Uh, before Unsteady, uh, maybe like. Did that change the number thousand. of people? Yes. Yes. So it that, did. that it works exponentially. It's more songs that they can. Yeah. No. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for us, I don't know about for, for other artists, you know, like we also, prior to... But that's the difference of a hit song. I mean, there are a yeah. lot of great bands out there who've never had a yeah. hit song. And they don't. that hit song is the difference of playing this size room versus a double or triple size room yeah. or 9,600 people yeah. is a huge difference. Yeah, you know it does work exponentially. Yeah, if you yeah. if you have recognizable songs. Yeah, so you know in my mind, and that's it's kind of like why. So we just got off of uh, a tour. We had we had booked a tour around Red Rocks, assuming that the record would be out, assuming we'd be done with it. And by the time the tour came out, we were came up. We were like not we're we're not done. So we were out there supporting this. We were supporting singles, essentially, the singles that we put out, like Ahead of Myself and Joyful and Don't Stay. And and it was great to play those new songs in front of people uh, and and older stuff too. But, you know, for me, that's why that's why we've kind of left the rest of this year open to just finishing this record and figuring out what that, fir- that first foot in the door is going to be for this next record, what that next hit is going to be. You started co-writing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, man. It's like changed my changed my whole life and changed my whole perspective on on songwriting why because for the first you know f- since from the beginning and then through our first record i was the only one working on lyrics and melody you know i was when we were working with alex i would be just like writing stuff on my laptop on the road texting it to him and and he would say nah 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 that's cool nah Nah, that's cool. And just that was the only feedback I got. It wasn't like ever a conversation or like, uh, you know, um, what if we try, you know, a melody like this or something simpler or like, what I love this word, you know, let's, let's, let's kind of go off this. 
it was it wasn't really that that uh much of like a, a conversation and and uh so it's very isolating very isolating and very easy to just be so so discouraged because you know and I, I get into this this all the time with with writing stuff on my own where i'm like alone in a room and i'm hating every single thing that i'm coming up with you know but just to have another person there who is also a songwriter who's also listening who's hearing stuff that you're not to be able to have someone say no 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 that's actually that's kind of cool and what if we what if you spin it like this or like i love that melody i love that melody and it could work you know if you said this word it's it's so i mean like just the old saying really two heads are better than one yeah. sometimes three i mean look there sometimes there're too many cooks in the kitchen but I, for me, I love it. I love it, man. And we've been really lucky on this record to write with some incredible people. Most of the collaborations and people that we've worked with, I've never met in real life. Like I, I, I met I met Ty Dalla. We actually just did a session together the other day, and people say he's the most talented guy. In he LA. is so talented. It's an, it's it's nuts. And so nice, and just we wrote this. God, I really hope this song comes out. It's always so hard with, with you know writing with other people because you you write a song and then like two years later it you know it comes out or it kind of makes the light of the day. But I I really hope that he puts the song out that we that we wrote together. But I've met him um, and Dan. Obviously, uh, I haven't met Logic. I haven't met uh, Wiz, who we've collaborated with twice. Times. Uh, or little Wayne. Uh, yeah, haven't met any any of the other ones, but that's that You're, song. Are you singing on it also in there, or is it just Dan? I'm Dan sings the chorus. So I I came in at like the very. It, it was so funny how I got in the song. I just sing the bridge at the end. I just wrote the bridge at the end because Alex sent me the song. I think I tried writing verses for it too. I don't know at this point. He was very cryptic. He's always cryptic with, you know, with with me and the rest of his writers and wouldn't tell me really what it was for, but he was like, "Can you try writing some stuff over this?" And I think maybe he was like, "Just try writing a bridge. I need a bridge for this. Write a bridge." So I wrote a bridge, and I sang it. And then next thing I know, I'm featured on this track with like 15 other artists and I my part comes in in the last 20 seconds of the song. I think if you were to go back and tell that kid in high school who isn't cool yet, yeah, that those are the people you'd be featured on with, there's no way you could possibly believe that story. Well, that's not even the coolest one. The coolest one for me was Jay Z getting on the remix of Jungle. Oh wow, that was so insane! And again, never he met heard him. it and did it. He was so get- this commercial campaign was so huge, and the World Cup was happening. And they wanted to have a version of the commercial with a rapper on it. And Jimmy, Iveen, I think, and and Alex, I don't know who, I don't know how this happened, but I just get a FaceTime call from Alex one day being like, hey, guess what? I got Jay-Z on the remix for Jungle. And I was walking around Brooklyn. I was like, I think I was going to a session and still like, still living at my girlfriend's apartment. And it was the craziest thing in the world. And to hear his voice on it was was so insane. 
in in our next segment, which we do sort of a five for five, where yeah. I just mention five people. And yeah. The oh, does this mean it's the tail end of it? Have we been? I mean, it's. I want to just. I can't. I kind of want to keep as talking. As long as you want. Yeah. It's been I'll about t- an hour. We can keep going. Let's keep going. All I'm right. loving it. Tell I'm me a story. It. Tell me something I don't well, know. Well, let's do the five for five, and then we can come back to it, right? Or uh, do you yeah. like to circle out with? Do you like to end No, with I don't really care. There are no rules. There are no rules. I would say that this is, if there's one thing I've I've gotten from not only this, but yeah. in particular, you know, the album I'm doing on Interscope is something I've worked on for 15 years. I can't wait right? to hear this. I really want to hear this. I'm project. excited. I'll, I'll, I can play some stuff. Are you looking this. for people to sing on it? Because no. I will. Oh, okay. All right. Fine. No offense. Okay. So, <laughs> so Ricky Reed's producing it. I was just, I actually just got in touch with him because uh, he and I uh, are working. We wrote a song with um, Lizzo. Yeah. That they're working on right now. Did you do below, like in the, the studio below no, us? No, we, we wrote, we wrote um, this song with her in a studio somewhere else. And cool. he's A&Ring her, her project yeah. right now yeah. and, and heard it and, and liked it. Um, but he's great, man. Yeah. He's amazing. Family. I mean, it was at my wedding. You know, family. Um, and... He, so he's producing it. Mike Elizondo's on bass. It's the oh, Dr. Dre Mike rhythm session. Crazy, crazy story about Mike. So this is this is insane. This is we had a session with Mike. We had been dying to get in the studio with him. This is kind of a kind of a fucked up story. Um, but we were in the studio with him, and his studio is amazing. And he's the nicest guy and the greatest guy. And it was our first day with him, and we're we're working, we're writing, we're writing and writing. It's me and me and uh, Adam, our drummer, and, and my brother. And all of a sudden, I turn around because I hear something banging, and my brother's having a seizure. My brother had never had a seizure before in his entire life, and this is like two hours into the session, he starts fully convulsing, and he's like, you know, I I, I think he's dying, and. I am on the floor, like trying to keep his mouth open. It was if you've ever had seen someone have a seizure, it's the most horrifying and helpless feeling in the world to have this happen. Why so did he I, have it? They still don't really know. Has he had one since? No. The thing about what we found out from the neurologists that he saw, and like every after the whole experience, like, and I didn't know this. There are people who in their lifetimes have one freak thing where their brain, their wires in their brain just like connect cross in a, in a weird way and they have a seizure and they might never have it again. Um, but it, yeah, so he hasn't had one since, but it was so violent and scary and crazy and came out of nowhere. And poor Mike like just met us and is like in the hospital with us that day. It was, it was the most like insane day in my entire one of the most insane days in my entire life and going going from like a beautiful creative space to just horrifying like oh my god i'm watching my brother die right in front of me and yeah it was it was nuts and we tried we've since tried like working with mike again and and you know we had a we had another day in there and and it was it was great. Uh, we we haven't written anything you know together that's that's gonna make the record. But uh, the poor guy, I just like I'm sure in his head he's like, yeah, ex ambassadors. That was a crazy crazy recording experience with them. 
there's something about what happens in a studio. You know, there's a little bit of the what happens in a studio stays in a studio vibe going on. And and the stories that if if you were to ask a songwriter or a musician a story about their life, I would imagine that fifty percent would tell some story from yeah. being in a studio yeah. with blank doing yeah. this or that. And it's yeah. just something happens in a studio that's particularly weird. Do you have any like it wow, was, that was a crazy good story, maybe to I'm sure I do. <laughs> By the way, my brother's fine. He's doing great. He's actually just got he's just got married. He's having a oh, baby. Con- like congratulations. He's, 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 yeah. he's on top of the world right now. Um, but that was it was an insane experience. I'm trying to think. Um yeah, I mean, I the only experiences that I can think of like that are really amazing in the studio are, are when uh when you write something that comes out of nowhere that's really great. Like we um this is very cool because I'm I was such a huge Rage Against the Machine fan growing sure. up. And we uh got to work with Tom Morello. Wow. And um he we wrote a song together and just for me, like I'll never forget being in the studio and watching him go into the room, listening to a track that we had we had created. We had already written this thing, and we were going in to finish guitars on it. And he just plugs his guitar in and starts playing, and it just sounds like Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, that was that was the, one of the coolest things that's yeah. ever happened to me in the studio. I went to go see. They did a reunion show for uh, Coachella. That right. Was when they, yeah. And I same did thing, you go huge, to that? Yeah, just huge fan. Of course, I'm going to go see this. This is incredible. But then this, you know, I'm a five ten uh-huh. white Jewish guy. Yeah. And it's their first show in years and they play and so many of their fans flew in from all over the world and are really aggressive looking humans Mm -hmm. and when you have lyrics like um for our listeners who are under 18 turn off now yeah um but if it's uh you know put a bullet through your motherfucking head yeah and hearing that (laughs) with everyone jumping up and down i don't know if there was ever a show that I decided to leave early other than that. Really? I was so surrounded and it's so oh, packed. Wow. There's 80,000 people yeah, and yeah. you're in the middle of this and you're just thinking, if there's a time where someone's going to look at me and be like, I want to kill the Jewish kid. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> this This felt like the yeah. moment. So wow. I kind of I took off. But, <clears throat> you know. Um, I would have taken the L. I would have just stayed. Just gone, I yeah. would have just stayed, man. I will say that, you, you know, that band... That band changed how a lot of us hear what a band is. Yeah. You know, they yeah. independently had a voice, all of them. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, that rap rockish kind of vocals. He found a way to do it in a way that wasn't yeah, that- like everybody else, but still felt authentically street and urban. Yeah, man. And- I mean, urban in like the real like city sense. It's, it felt like I was in a city. Yeah, really like did kind of a similar thing that uh, um, like ill communication did. You know, like Beastie Boys. Like the it was it was rap and it was rock and it it just yeah it just felt it felt authentic and it felt it felt uh, um, 
just just that fucking anger. I'm sorry. I, I, yeah, I'm, no, I'm it's fine. It's really just that my my brother in laws in the other room was saying <laughs> was saying he said, you know, your niece and nephew. Every time you hear it, they're like, why does he have to say those words? <laughs> oh, no. and, you know what? Shout out to my niece and nephew. I promise you, I'm not like this. I got so Actually, the thing is, so, I am. I'm just like this. It's just is what it is. I got so nervous. I saw Zach De La Roca like in the Apple Store, I think, in uh, Studio City, and I have never been more like I, I mad at myself for not just like even saying something but I was too afraid hashtag just, they're just like us I know hashtag they're just like us yeah, yeah I hear he's a nice guy okay we can do the five questions okay. now or the, the um, five questions but yeah let's do that Oh, can I tell one other story? Yes. Oh, I was gonna oh my say God, this. Please. I was gonna say this before, by the way, that the the out of order thing, and I started talking about the the album, and right. part of the the what I was gonna say is that I think that art is better when you don't view it as completed. Right. And I think that there aren't really rules to it, and editing later, yeah. and I, we're putting this out, and it's very exciting. Because we will lock in that album. And then we're working on doing the show in New York. And that will also be something different than uh-huh. this. Right. But each thing is an evolution. And viewing, to me, I view art as an evolution rather than this completed, here's the masterpiece. I don't right. think that's what art is meant to do. I think art is cooler when you can do... Bob Dylan's all on the watchtower and then Jimi Hendrix is all on the watchtower and then yeah. Dave Matthews all on the watchtower yeah. and you can keep doing those, all those are demos for the next guy. Yeah. And I like the idea that to me the art is in the the songwriting and the demo yeah. part of it mm. but even that can change. It's okay yeah. to to have Jay-Z come in and do a remix of your song, it's very you know. Okay. That yeah, it's very okay yeah. because that's to me that's Art and so I don't, you know, the order of things and what comes first and what yeah. comes later and is this how it's supposed to go? I would, I don't really care about I any know. of that. That's I don't, how I view songwriting. Yeah, yeah, and, and and how you know, as a band too, knowing that like the way that we're gonna perform a record live is gonna totally transform and the show, the show that we create around that record because it's not just going to be playing the record necessarily playing the record through from start to finish we'll be incorporating other older songs too so that makes it a totally different show and what that shows so that yeah you're you're i think that's a that's a good healthy way of of looking at it thank you you're welcome okay so let's do these five for fives i don't know why it's starting to stick like that's the name of this section somebody once sent a really good one five for five school yeah, it's fine. I feel like it's five for five. Like the, it's a little bit five for fighting. Super yeah. close to that. That's not what I'm intending. It's a good band and all. Uh-huh. Anyway, irrelevant. Okay, I, I let's go five for five. I want to go with each bandmate because I think in your story each one cool. had a moment, and I want to start with Noah because, as you said, that's who you started this with. Yes. So let's start with Noah. Dear friend, Adam. Uh, he's he's a uh, a motherfucker, but I love him. I love him. He's he's always the uh, um, the one who's kind of the realist with me about everything. I send him stuff, and he 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 doesn't uh, pull punches with me, which is great. You need right. someone like that in your band, absolutely. 
Yeah. Your brother, Casey. A hero, man. He's my hero. Like through and through, just always someone who I am constantly getting inspired from and uh, who just lifts my life up on a daily basis just by knowing him and being around him. Amazing. Yeah. Dan Reynolds. Great guy. Imagine Dragons. The greatest guy. The greatest guy. And uh, also like a, a role model. You know, someone I seriously look up to. He is an amazing songwriter, amazing frontman for a band. And uh, yeah. Alex the Kid. He's uh, something else. Something else. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say on that. That's so good. Um <laughs> Well, thank you for doing this. Thank you so much for having me, man. Like seriously, this is I've been looking forward to this all week. We oh, just good. got back from the tour and the schedule's been pretty empty and and this is the only thing on my calendar and I've been very much looking forward to it. Um, I appreciate that. The Yeah. You know, one of the things that we obviously we're, we weren't meaning to do this as an advocacy for songwriters. It yeah. just ended up being that because naturally we're talking to songwriters and they need it. Advocacy, yeah, and I think when I I think of people who are in bands and are insular, yeah. I'm less interested in that as an interviewer mm-hmm. than I am the guy who's starting to embrace the songwriting community. It's so I think that any my if I could give any advice to anyone who's in a band is just do that immediately. Start writing with other writers because you will learn so much it's so fun to just get because again like you're in your own head like 99.9% of the time being in a room with another person especially another songwriter uh it gives you confidence it it makes things it gets you you gets your ego out of the way it's 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 so so great and you realize we're all doing the same thing we all we all I mean like everyone writes differently but you, we all kind of write the same you know we're always we're all on our voice notes we're all on our little memos on our writing weird words down and titles for songs that you know pop up or you know in a, in a session or, or whatever you know we're we all kind of mumble our way through songs and figure out what those melodies are and it's it's just such a relief to be able to to know that you're not alone in your own little lonely creative world. Yeah. Really, like that's all it is. That's sure. all it is. And I, we have written some of, for this next record, as I said before, we're still trying to find what that like first single, the first like big, you know, foot in the door is going to be for this next record. But we have written some of my favorites and some of i can i can i can objectively say that we've been writing some of the best stuff that that we've ever written for this new record and a lot of that is because we're working with other people and that collaboration just brings the best out of everybody good well thanks for collaborating with us oh my god thank you for having me Thanks for listening to this episode of And The Writer Is. If you want to hear music from this songwriter I just interviewed, be sure to check out our Spotify playlist. 
or visit our website at andthewriteris.com. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us. You can also like us on Facebook and Twitter. And the Writer Is is produced by Joe London, edited by Miles Bergsma, and published by Big Deal Music. A special thanks to David Silberstein from Mega House Music and Michael White. Until next time, this is Ross Golan. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.